Hi, Tizzy. Hi, Will. And hello to everybody else listening. So this is the first of a series of really incredible conversations about partnership and collaboration for drowning prevention, uh, focused specifically on statewide coalitions for water safety. By way of introduction, my name is William Kuhn. I am a drowning prevention researcher and practitioner from California, and I'm part of a larger group of stakeholders in the state uh, who've been working to launch a statewide water safety coalition. So in California, we are really lucky to be starting out with several active and really amazing local coalitions. Um, we also have a, a strong track record for statewide collaboration, and I think most importantly, an amazing group of passionate drowning prevention advocates. So as part of this effort to establish a more formal mechanism for statewide partnership, we thought it was prudent to look beyond our own state and intentionally seek to gather some lessons learned from other states who've been down this path before. So to that end, to provide a bit of guidance in this learning process and some wisdom and insight, I invited one of my mentors and dear friends, Tizzy Bennett, to help us figure out how we could do this work well and share it in a meaningful way. So Tizzy, first, thank you for being so incredible throughout this whole project. Would you please provide those listening with a bit of context on who you are and what your connection is to drowning prevention? You bet. So my name's Tizzy Bennett, and I started working in drowning prevention in the early 1990s in my role at Seattle Children's Hospital. And over 30 years, have done a lot of different uh, programs and initiatives and campaigns, including being heavily involved in the start and maintenance of the Washington State Drowning Prevention Network. I also have a deep background in public health and have really brought that to this work in drowning prevention. And now I co-chair the Life Jacket PFD and other flotation working group for the development of the first United States National Water Safety Action Plan. Thanks, Tizzy. So when we first started talking about what it would look like to try and characterize some of these lessons, uh, and advice on state level water safety groups for the California effort, you and I began to see that, you know, the lessons learned were probably applicable beyond, you know, this specific effort for California. That's exactly right. So in our interviews with these state leaders, you might hear us or them refer to California or the efforts underway in California. But I think the advice and lessons they describe are really for anyone who's looking to do some learning around collaboration and partnership for drowning prevention, whether that's at a state, a local, or a national level. I think this project and the lessons learned here are especially relevant for those working in drowning prevention in the United States, as next year, the first National Water Safety Action Plan will be released. These conversations may be a great place for those looking to start some sort of collaborative group to tackle the national plan's recommendations or provide some motivation, new thinking, new ideas for those groups that are already established. If anything, I'm hopeful and we're hopeful these interviews spark conversations among and between individuals, organizations, and coalitions who are dedicated to preventing drowning and keeping people safe in and near the water. Excellent. So before we get into our first interview, a couple of logistical items. Tizzy and I sent each person that we interviewed a short list of questions so they could get an idea of what we were going to talk about. So you may hear people in these interviews refer to the written questions 
um, in our conversation. We held all these interviews on Zoom so we could see each other, but we only edited the audio for release here. Lastly, Tizzy and I are passionate water safety people, but not professional podcasters. So thank you in advance for your understanding as we've done our best to make this um, an informative and enjoyable listening experience for you. So with that, Tizzy, can you transition us to our first interview? Thanks, Will. And it is such a great uh, privilege for me to introduce Tony Gomez. He is my friend. He is my mentor. He's been my longtime colleague. And Tony has been involved with drowning prevention with Dr. Linda Kwan and me and many others in our state for longer than I have been involved. Mm -hmm. And that's a really long time. And he brings such a wealth of experience and perspective and wisdom to this idea around uh, drowning prevention network and earlier on uh, was a coalition in Seattle and King County. So this is such a great way for us to launch. As we look forward to this interview, is there any kind of background information that um, the listener should know about? Just a couple of quick things. When Tony says children's, that refers to Seattle Children's Hospital where I used to work. And when he says Harborview, typically he's referencing the Harborview Injury Prevention and Research Center. Harborview is also a medical center. So he may also be speaking to it as a healthcare organization as well as an injury prevention center. Uh, just one more thing. You will hear Tony reference something called the Prevention Institute that we strongly recommend you uh, just do a quick Google. The Prevention Institute has um, some really incredible resources on developing effective coalitions, collaboration and assessment tools, um, and, and some actually really helpful information on this idea of, of turf and tension between different stakeholders. So it may be helpful for you to, to look up the Prevention Institute. With that, this is our conversation with Tony Gomez from Washington State. Tony, I would love if you could introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on who you are and what you do and how you got into water safety. Um, yes, I'm Tony Gomez and I manage violence and injury prevention at Public Health, Seattle and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. County. And um, I've always had an interest in drowning prevention going back to when I was a high school lifeguard hearing of uh, people drowning in lifeguarded pools and kind of thinking, how could that happen? And then as well, um, from doing rescues myself uh, in some open water as well as uh, pool situations. So I think uh, like many involved in this field, it's both uh, personal and professional. So I want to jump in and talk about the Washington State Drowning Prevention Network. And I'd like if you could paint a little bit of a picture for us of how that group started and maybe what some of the early days looked like. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the start of our water safety work, it actually originated with a small CDC grant. You know, the injury field does so much with small grants. So Harborview Injury Center was serving as a a steering committee member and leader 
and they identified these, um, I think it was eight or $9,000 grants in order to start grounding prevention coalitions. So we applied for a local one for King County, state of Florida decided to go for the whole state of Florida with theirs. And um, so, you know, in convening members, we decided to do what good public health folks do, which is look at data, what are the numbers, where are they occurring, um, see what our role might be, and um, established our uh, county coalition. And then we we're just so fortunate to have Children's as a partner from the outset with this collaboration between the Academic Center of the University of Washington, Harborview, Seattle Children's, and Dr. Kwan, and then Tizzy joining us because uh, her energy and abilities um, really brought us up to a, a new a new level. And so um, when we became a statewide network, that was largely as a result of Tizzy, Kathy Williams at the Department of Health um, and a CDC grant. Again, probably not a huge grant, but enough that it brought uh, kind of credibility to the work and it brought some staffing and it was allowed us to continue to um, to grow the number of partners to have the most effect per you know amount of time we were putting in, um, given where we were still largely a volunteer organization of sorts in that uh, um, uh, people were either volunteering time or carving out of time out of their kind of regular work for this for this effort. And Tony, I also remember that in the early days of the King County and Seattle Coalition, people started coming from lots of other counties because they were interested in drowning prevention. So that was part of that evolution to a statewide network as well, is that we were seeing in a one county coalition, there would be eight counties coming to that. Yeah, that's a good reminder that um, part of it was... Um, the injury and violence field at the local health department level, and even at the state was still in development phases, there was some injury prevention, especially drowning prevention occurring in environmental health divisions throughout uh, the county because they were responsible for assuring health and safety at the regulated pools, hotel, motels, clubs, uh, apartments, that type of thing. And then water parks, we went from having you know one water park in King County to like think eight were being proposed at one time in this explosion of water parks around the, the country and even in our state uh, brought a lot of interest from that environmental health side along with maternal child health interests. And so that was um, part of it was um, yeah, bringing in um, statewide folks, other county folks, and, um, and then going through some trainings together one of the important tools we came to learn about was the spectrum of prevention out of the Prevention Institute. And in looking at that framework with policy development at its top level, working with community, working through organizations, down to individual level um, improvements like, uh, oh, teaching swim lessons one at a time or in a group setting or distributing life jackets. We just decided we needed to work um, through all of those um, levels of the spectrum to have um, a chance to be effective. And in times of, in terms of a galvanizing event too, you know, as we were trying to figure out how to establish ourselves, one of our members, um, we found out that uh, Arizona, where they were losing a kid a day 
uh, mostly backyard pool drownings, had done an event called April Pools Day. And they had trained, I think, 40,000 some people in uh, Sun Devil Stadium on CPR. Well, we talked about whether that was a model for us and learned that, yeah, you know, we're pretty much a great CPR medic one town. So probably wasn't our need here, but everybody loved the April Fool's Day name. And uh, so we turned it into our own event with allowing pools to open up their doors to the public, have a free swim, learn some water safety, and then bringing in elected officials and other celebrities and, and our members to, to, to get some attention early season. Uh, with water safety. So it was fun to have those early galvanizing events. And it really was a uh, strong co-leadership um, between health folks, the hospitals, Seattle Children's, um, the parks departments at state and local levels. And then industry was um, also very interested in getting on board. I love how you brought up April Pool's Day, Tony, because one of the things that's so great about it is many people in the water safety arena are practitioners at heart. And April Pool's Day was something we could all get behind. And it took a more theoretical data and brought it down to what's something I can do in my community today, next week, next year? What's something we can all do together and then have a community-based, uh, com you know, approach to it. So April Pool's Day is a really great example of an actual activity we got involved with, but also just help people get going. I'm going to move us on to um, for you to talk a little bit about how the Drowning Prevention Network is organized. Well, our current statewide network has um, leadership from uh, Washington State's parks boating uh, folks. So that brings a lot of the open water and boating. We also have the Washington Parks and Recreation Association, which includes um, the uh, lifeguards, beach managers, pool managers, a lot of that field. Um, includes health with uh, Seattle Children's really kind of serving as our um, kind of lead agency, if you will, in terms of organizing and convening. We've gone from you know, originally back in the day from monthly meetings to twice a year uh, and right now virtual meetings. Um, it also includes our Safe Kids Coalitions, uh, which are some fabulous partners and the State Department of Health, which has been good. And so we've just um, kind of feel like we have everything covered from big water boating um, to pools, spas, even the backyard pools. Um, where we've had some accomplishment over the years as well in reducing drownings. So Tony, you've got a, a really diverse group of stakeholders in that group. And from the history, what you just described of it, it started as being very health focused, right? Um, you know, Seattle Children's was involved, Harborview was involved, King County Public Health was involved. And now it seems like um, lots of the more rec recreation um, folks are involved, which is great. I want to ask you a little bit about leadership and, I mean, quickly governance structure, because a lot of folks who are looking at establishing coalitions, you know, they're looking at, do we have a board? Do we have an executive director? Do we have a lead agency? There's all these different models. So can you describe just quickly who leads the, the coalition and 
how does the actual administration of of the group happen? Yeah, currently it really is consensus and consensus building. Um, we we plan our uh, meetings and we're in the middle of one now. We had a morning today and then a morning tomorrow that um, will finish in order to, to give a well-rounded um, uh, set of programs and, and uh, activities underway. Um, so we, we did look at, because again, the Prevention Institute had a nice paper out on, um, you know, if you're going to undertake a prevention effort, you form a task force and what's kind of the definition of a task force and it's kind of a time limited sort of thing. Do you form a network? Are you a coalition? Uh, what exactly are we? And I think um, our network structure is, is nice in that um, it is the shared leadership. Everybody's willing to do some level of work. Um, and we're going to start uh, also having um, shared uh, facilitation of our meetings. Um, done it for a lot of years and tomorrow our Seattle Parks Aquatics person is going to um, lead us and we're going to continue to build like build on that. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of like almost interchangeable in a sense between a coalition and a network, but even a network's a little less governance structured and that a coalition, you kind of have a coalition chair. Um, there are lots of places where they do have boards and kind of set out established um, um, bylaws and guidelines. You know, Safe Kids and some of those models um, have those. And I think for where we're at with the funding we have, um, that it's probably the best structure that exists for us. It may be that for another organization, depending on funding or hierarchy, um, there may need to be a, a more formal structure, but these are all things to explore with a, a steering committee um, as one would start to develop a, a new program. And Tony, would, would you agree having now been doing this for 30 some odd years, the coalition that back to the way it first got started with a little bit of money for admin support, there has to be an organization that's willing to put in some resource for admin support. And right now that's Children's Hospital yes. that's doing that. When we have not had any capacity or ability to have admin support, it, it's felt like it's been harder to just pull off the logistics of bringing people together and keeping things, keeping momentum going. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Without Seattle Children's, I'm not sure we would, uh, in your work, have a network at this point. Um, we, we probably would have something, but it wasn't the, what we're able to achieve today. So it really is um, important that um, leadership of the organization at the highest level knows about this and supports this. Um, and it's Part of what I'm kind of revisiting right now with um, our need to develop a better King County area plan, given we've seen some huge increases in drowning as a result of um, 
both increased warming, so more exposure to the water, and probably less supervision with the lifeguard shortages. And, and it reminded me, we need to get our highest level of elected leadership um, more aware of the importance of aquatics, water safety, and to build those bridges with the climate change leaders that are uh, embarking upon their work, um, chronic disease prevention for a healthier uh, community, and then even um, importantly, the um, disaster preparedness folks because as we've seen play out here, there's a whole lot of communities that could have benefit or could benefit from having life jackets in every home during a flooding event or having life jackets readily available um, in tsunami earthquake prone areas. Um, and that, you know, having those resources of those nature available and getting more general usage in, in non-emergency events, probably at a population level, because we in public health, we in the in, in in the leadership field need to think about that population level work. So having those um, resources and information and those partnerships, I think helps make for a uh, safer uh, situation for for our population as a whole. And. As you say that, you know, one of the questions that we have on the um, on the list today is, you know, how do you keep a coalition going over a long period of time? And one of the ways you do that is by evolving, recreating, looking at how things are changing. And those are great examples around disaster response, climate change. It's really great. I'm going to move us to the next question, um, Tony. And of course, this is one of my very favorite questions always is talk a little bit about what you think have been some successes as well as some challenges of the group. I think at the high level policy change, um, you know, Seattle Children's Busy Bennett leading the passage of the uh, life jacket law for children that continues to be discussed, came up on today's call. Uh, Oregon would like to advance some something along those lines because they were referencing some 50s laws. Um, and so I think that was a, a great accomplishment of the, of the network with the strong leadership out of Seattle Children's. So that's on kind of the one end of the spectrum. On the other end, we were able to get state law changed for backyard pools that all new pools have to have good foresighted fencing and education around that. So that involved um, getting the building code council legislature governor to adopt these changes based on best practices. So that was uh, extremely helpful. And I, I think one of the um, other accomplishment is um, the champion of child fatality reviews, our most precious resource, our most vulnerable children, looking at those cases in order to look at the factors that led to and would prevent those deaths. And if, you know, the entire world had a child fatality review process that led to um, policy and other prevention efforts, we could 
probably like we did in King County for three years, we had no child drown in our you know population here with all the lakes and rivers for a three year period. So it shows that you can really accomplish tremendous things with those prevention efforts. Tony, real quick, for people who might not know what a child death review team is in 10 or 15 seconds, can you describe what that looks like? Yeah, it's an expert committee and can include community members. It comes together to review, review all the factors that led to a child death, typically under confidential um, legislative proceedings so that it's not available and open to media. It's not a public meeting because of the kinds of conversations that would happen. And then it allows um, those recommendations to be used for uh, future prevention efforts from policy to that individual level change kind of within that spectrum of prevention framework. Awesome. And kudos to you, Tony, for what you've done to actually bridge that from seeking to understand what happened in a child drowning death to how you take a prevention recommendation that might be made in that group and actually move it forward versus all it was all that happened is it was said in a room and nothing further. So I think that um, that's a, a great connection and why bringing in public health along with uh, drowning prevention and water safety organizations really helps to do that bridging. How about challenges? Well, you know, it, it was it's both an accomplishment and an ongoing challenge is our open water guidelines work. Um, Seattle Children's Department of Health getting a, a CDC grant to develop the best practices on open water. You would, we, you know, we want lifeguards at our swim beaches. We also want clean water there. So a clarity and an operational plan and a review system. And, you know, it's an excellent model and it's uh, voluntary at this point. We've now done the literature review, done the research that published a paper that shows that states that have stronger open water uh, rules and regulations have less drowning in these types of settings. So our challenge is even to get our state <laughs> to adopt uh, and move in that direction. It was supposed to happen some 35 plus years ago when I started and it's uh, kind of the one remaining unmet need out of our environmental health group. Um, and, you know, I think the challenge of COVID is, uh, is, um, a valid reason for putting everything on hold, but as soon as we get the chance, we got to help try to push and scoot that along so that we're not at the end of the line again. Tony, can I ask, uh, maybe, yeah, it might not be a challenge in your group, but in many groups that have lots of different people involved from different sectors, um, getting everybody on the same page and getting everybody to, to collaborate can be difficult. Um, you know, something that I loved about the Washington Drowning Prevention Network meetings was sitting in a room with folks from public health and folks from the sheriff and folks from fire and folks from parks and rec and the people who ran the water parks and the environmental health guy who's talking about microbes in the pool. Like it was just such a diverse group of people over the history of the coalition. Has it ever been a challenge to move those folks in the same direction? And, and what kind of advice or recommendations would you have for groups who are setting out to embark on this process with lots of different people involved? You know, how do we 
how do we get all the people to play in the same sandbox um, over the long term? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, I think it, it has been challenging because there's um, some of our attendees are there to hear the information, to present what they're working on, get some ideas, but they really have no interest in advancing policy. Um, and so I, I, as, as we kind of thinking about future work, I, I think there is a role for subcommittees. And it came up on today's call, for example, of um, we probably need some, some breakout sections on because the topics are so diverse and see if we can uh, get some folks to work on various of the, of the topics in a subcommittee setting, given, you know, I, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get improved resource at some point, um, similar to other public health areas to have both leadership and um, membership funded at some level. But absent that, I think we're going to have to have um, some topic-specific subcommittees that are going to have to tackle some of these things. And then, that, and then folks can self-select what they have interest in. You know, and it may be that we have the broader meeting with lots of attendees and lots of interest and lots of interesting things shared. And then when it comes to specific work, um, you know, we end up with four to six folks that are part of that subcommittee that is going to, you know, put the hours in with perhaps a broader group of, of community and other stakeholders that have interest to try to advance whatever that issue is. That's super helpful. I think that, you know, that self-selecting committee um, is really powerful because it gets experts in there and then figuring out a clever way to make sure that there's cross-pollination between those groups is key, right? I want to ask you both one more question on this topic, and it has to do with geography. So from your early days as a Seattle King County-based coalition expanded to a statewide coalition, how did you manage to ensure that folks in Eastern Washington or, I mean, the Southern part of the state were included and felt like they were valuable contributors to the coalition. Um, because I, I think in lots of regions and, you know, like my home in California, you know, our water safety world is very Southern California focused, right? Um, and, and we want to include the whole state. What recommendations would you have for, you know, that regional inclusion piece, either Tizzy or Tony? You go first, Tizzy. Well, when we first started, we would meticulously have one meeting on the west side of the Cascades and the other meeting on the east side of the Cascades. So we were very attentive to that and wanted to be sure we were not only driving out of Seattle and King County. As time has gone on, having a place where you have all the technology, it's really about removing barriers to participation. And one of the ways to remove barriers to participation is to make it accessible. And now I think we have so much more available to us over the last year and a half, actually, to have Zoom meetings, to have both in-person and Zoom, where you can bring people together in that way. But we have tried to have conference call options and video uh, you know, teleconference options and Zoom options and geographic options, but um, that I think those things have helped. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I, that was good because I had, um, John, we, you know, had that uh, very conscious conversation about going east and west and 
taking the effort and sometimes we'd go east and we'd just get a few extra folks but we we, we uh, made the best effort we could and um, still be a great meeting <laughs> but I, I think too you know something tizzy and children's did was would invite speakers from those parts of the states too to give their programs um, uh, so that they're invested in the work and um, and then as they decided to try to uh, do something in their local region it was often encouraged like hey is this something that could go statewide too and so then the folks out of those other regions would work on that to, to make it available um, uh, to others and then you know a lot of it also includes um, you know being able to encourage and have kind of frameworks for how to have consistent messaging across the state so when they do media in Spokane or another part of the of the state, um, we're we're saying pretty much the same thing. And instead of getting away from this, get away from this non-specific, be safe out there messaging to like what are the very concrete actions that our our network agrees to in line with Coast Guard, AAP, American Academy of Peds, or others, or we've established. Um, so that we have that consistent messaging and so that, that then as they do media in their own region, um, you know, they, they have the tools that make them feel um, comfortable with it. And, and then the last piece is that, you know, Tizzy um, also wanted everybody to do the round the table updates, you know, three to five minutes. And so that's where we would hear from what's going on from each person around the state. And then they're invested in what they're going to be thinking about and presenting. And today's conversation, for example, um, included like just it stayed over a hundred day after day in Eastern Washington this year. And the person that had been Franklin was saying, and it was not only just a hundred; it was like 115 and 117, and it was really a tough summer. And the national media kept showing the space needle and continues to do so when they talk about climate change and heating. It's like, you know, we had like three hot days here, okay? Why do they keep showing the space needle when Eastern Washington was just boiling for a month and a half? Yeah. <laughs> so I, we, I can imagine, too, that that consistent messaging is really helpful, too, even just within the different sectors, right? So the swim school is saying the same thing as the fire chief, which is saying the same thing as the Coast Guard, who's saying the same thing as, you know, all the other people in the room, which is is really valuable. So um, we are kind of running out of time. And so, Tony, I want to ask one last question, um, which is broad, and, and that is, what would be your advice? For folks who are starting this process, who are looking at um, forming a multi-sectoral coalition to advance water safety and drowning prevention in a community, what would be your advice for those folks who are who are just starting out on this journey? Well, I think getting uh, your local or state data would be a great start. And then I think uh, that our field shares and um, and uh, works well together. And there's any number of uh, folks that would be glad to help with some ideas and some discussions. I, I expect both of you would be very helpful and willing to do that. I'd be willing to do that. And then other task, other uh, drowning prevention experts around the country are always willing to share information. And so, you know, have those conversations so that you 
and kind of envision what you want to do, where you want to go um, as you use the data to inform your work, look at the literature, um, think about uh, best practices, think about best practices for coalition or network building, and then um, what are the sorts of uh, rewards that attendees can have um, to sell it to their organizations um, for both visibility and actual uh, prevention or effectiveness to then continue to, to, to do the, the loop to uh, just assuring that you know, an important public health issue gets addressed. 